With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They might talk about human music, film, books, football, and box sets, exercise, and maybe even food. Trivia and sports, politics and health, sometimes well-being too. On the life with Brian. Life with Brian. Hello, you lovely lot. It's the Life with Brian podcast, and you're very welcome to join myself, Mark, my co-host, Matthew. How are you, Matthew? Good, thanks, Mark. Good, good to be back. And, of course, the former Celtic, Manchester United, and Scotland striker, Brian McClare. Brian, firstly, how are you? And secondly, I called you a striker there, but striker or midfielder, which would uh, you prefer to be remembered as? I was a small utility player. Right, I don't remember ever seeing you play full-back, mind. Ah, yeah, I played full-back, yeah. But the last 15 minutes of the FA Cup final in 1990, when NC was supposed to be playing there, but he just kept running forward, so I ended up playing full-back for that last 15 minutes. So no I, could play, I could play badly anywhere. Our special guest on this episode is quite simply a rugby union legend, captain of Leinster, Ireland and the British and Irish Lions, scorer of more tries than you can shake a stick at and one of the greatest centres to ever have played the game. It's our privilege to welcome Brian O'Driscoll to the show. How are you doing, Brian? Good morning, Brian. Good morning to you as well. All, all well, I hope. Yes. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing very well now. You've just blurred the background there, haven't you? I did blur a black round. I hope it's okay. Yeah. Just you never That's know not... what you might. Yeah, you, you, you might get a snapshot of like the Karma Sutra book or something in the background. So you never know what you know, trouble you get yourself in. No, well, actually, it's quite amusing because I tried to find something I can ask you. You're not expecting, you know. So you didn't blur out something before. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> I remember we had in a previous arg- a previous reencast. You didn't blur it. Now, what I want to know is, first question to you is: Are you any good at DIY? No. Uh, no, I was I was talking to my wife about it this morning about a, a you know a friend of hers and about you know retirement you know at fifty and 
And she was saying, God, there's only so many, you know, fences that you can fix and so on. And I thought, she's like, couldn't retire at 50 because I literally couldn't put a fence together to save my life. So uh, I'm going to have to remain working till um, till I'm old, grey and um, and not able for anything else. But now the DIY part of things is definitely not part of my makeup, albeit my old man is pretty good at it, which I don't really understand how I didn't, you know, I didn't soak a little bit of info off him. But no, I nearly electrocuted us recently by, well, myself, by hanging a picture above a light switch, which um, which was not smart. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll, I won't do that again. So what you're saying is I'm old then. <laughs> well, I was going to say old and grey and, and have a beard and I thought I had to take, take away the beard no, actually no, I, I can't, second, I can't grow also. a beard I can't grow one so it's the, I've, I've oh, got no, a beard envy you've, you've, you have tried various incarnations of this is true this is true things in the past, you know? Schmig, yeah. smigs and tashes and little yeah yeah, yeah that's, as, yeah, that's as good go, as it gets yeah to go with your blonde hair correct correct the internet can mm. be cruel no what you've got there as far as you might still have it you still got that big red DIY book in that bookshelf I do <laughs> I do <laughs> oh my god it's been there it's gathering dust it's gathering it's dust it's quite good it, it's brilliant actually my- what you do right? because during lockdown I think there was a um, a thing that was going around uh, of John Barnes and his his room for doing podcasts yeah. or doing recordings and you could see videos and books in the bookshelf but like yourselves and somebody had doctored it to have all porn books I saw porn that I actually saw that so, so you're actually quite clever in the sense of what, you, what you've thought, thought strange people like me checking out I was trying to check it out I couldn't see it right enough what those well, books are but I knew that my mother-in-law I could see that, that one years know. ago my mother-in-law bought it for Christmas a couple of years ago she really must know me <laughs> <laughs> she got a nudge for from her daughter obviously going geez, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get him something that might actually help us around the house <laughs> you haven't re-gifted it. No, you haven't given it to someone else. Not yet. Not yet. Maybe maybe I'll re-gift it to her in a couple of yeah. years' time. <laughs> have, have you actually opened it? I did open it when she gave it to me. Like when I yeah took it out of the out of the wrapper. I was like, oh, you know, because because so my wife um, is an actress and so is her brother. And they when I, when we got married initially, right? Um, we you know everyone opened you know the presents together in their family, but all sat around a table or sat around in a a room. And, you know, one of them handed something to, you know, one of her brothers handed it to her and she'd open it up. And I was like, God, this is a slow old process. And then I handed my, one of my gifts to like her dad and I was shot down immediately. Like, no, we all watch each other opening the presents. (laughs) I was like, what? We'll be here all afternoon. I was like, no wonder they're all good. They're all good actors in their family. I was like, oh, socks and jocks, brilliant, just what I needed. <laughs> so I think when I did open that one, I um, I probably, oh, that's just what I needed now to build myself a table and chairs in the back garden. Um, so, yeah, it hasn't, I forgot it was there, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was laughing there earlier. Is you, you must have had some quiz team. Did you actually get in the quiz team? There was five of you, I think, doing a degree uh, you're a UCD at the same time while playing international football. Is that right? There's loads of the boys. A lo- rugby, like a sorry, huge, rugby. A huge, a huge amount of the boys will have third level education, and a lot of them now 
are, are still doing it while they're full-time pros as well. Now, there's a lot of kind of uh, links to different universities, depending on where you play your, your club rugby. So, you know, in, in Leinster, they'll have an affiliation. In fact, their base is in uh, University College Dublin here. So there, there is a kind of a... Uh, an ability to be able to spread out your degree over a you know three or four, four or five year term you know to elongate a bit to give you you a chance of of doing both of kind of doing semesterized uh, exams rather than you know full um, full full calendar years as per you know regular students so all of that there, there's a there's definitely an encouragement from a rugby perspective to make sure that you are doing something extracurricular on top of your rugby. See, I should have been a rugby player. That's why I missed the trick there, because clearly there's a lot more intelligent conversation in your dressing rooms and on the coach than there was in mine, you know? <laughs> well, it, trust me, we can sing to some really, really horrible lows as well on the coaches. Like that, 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 that's, that's in our remit too, don't worry. <laughs> I've had some conversations that should never have heard the light of day, but... Um, but yeah, there's you know there's yeah there's there's a big mixture like like all sports you know football I'm sure is no different there there's different levels of intellect uh, but one thing that the downturn in 2008 did change was the appreciation for people needing to do having having alternative options um, where yeah. you know it wasn't a bed of roses when they came out of you know when players were retiring it wasn't going to be huge opportunity and so they had to work for it and that's why you know even guys now on their days off are doing placements in um, you know accountancy firms and and different financial uh, houses just to get experience so when the time does come for them to hang up their boots that there's a bit more of a seamless uh, uh, transition I should say into into the next iteration of what they do With regards to that can I ask you about your, when you come, came to the end of your career you you made up you made up your mind right you, you'd had enough right I think well my body made up my body made well, up yes, mind I yeah. think that, I think yeah I think that's part of it but would you choose to do it differently in the sense that you announced in the summer that you were, this is your last season would you have changed it and just on that last game because I know you got injured after eight minutes and then you won the the you won the, the game got won and you all got a medal you're celebrating and never everybody's Quite rightly, you're getting the um, accolades and the applause that you deserve for such a fantastic career. I just wonder if you're putting more pressure on yourself by saying whatever you were going that, uh, or even the team, maybe, that everywhere you went, well, this is Brian's last appearance at whatever ground you were at. I definitely would change it. Definitely would change it. What I was, my thinking was, I'll get them off my back here now. And if I do say, I had a fair idea that I was I was going to be done at the end of the year. In fact, the year before, I was even considering whether I'd go one more. And then when they, they were, you know, kind of handing me early on the season, is this going to be your last year? Is this going to be your last year? And I just thought, you know, if I just call it here now, because I'm not going to go on for another year after this. If the World Cup had been in 2014 rather than 15, I probably would have tried to get to it. But I knew that it was going to be the end and said, oh, right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them now and I'll, I'll have a year of being left alone. God, how wrong I was, where everything then, every time I was playing somewhere, I was like, oh, the last time here, the last time there. And it just became this long goodbye and I was embarrassed by the end of it. So... Actually, in my final game, when I was when I did come off injured after you know seven or eight minutes, I was just relieved it was over. Um, I was relieved that I was kind of finally done, that I could 
park all of that and and there was some nice stuff about you know calls for one more year and and you know fun stuff from the crowds but at that stage I was just spent I was tired of it all and 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 kind of exhausted around the, this last time this last time and and it got and a bit embarrassed to be honest with you and so if I did have my time back I'd 100% maybe announce it a, a week before you're about to go or at the very end and you um I believe you went to speak to a professional about preparing yourself mentally or emotionally for uh, that yeah. actual last game or post career. Did you already had you already decided, or were you, you knew you were going to go into punditry from from during that season or quite quickly after, or did you have another idea about what you were going to do with regards with your the second part of your life? No, I, I didn't really know what I want to get into. Um, I think the punditry was from in my head was a bit of a stopgap. It was going to give me a bit of breathing space. It was going to give me an opportunity to stay in the game for for you know, a, a bit um, and kind of um, and still not kind of detach myself completely from what I what I know the most. Um, but I did go and speak to uh um a psych uh psychiatrist um just to understand you know pr- trying to preempt that feeling of disappointment and loss and detachment from something that you knew and to try and normalize it all so i i had seen some friends really struggle coming out the other side of the game and i thought i can't have that so i i wanted to try and go and equip myself with the skills and to and more so to to have an appreciation for the normality of the of those senses that were going to be coming to me the yeah the, you know not being part of something that you've known all your adult life you know from when you were 18 19 years of age to to 35 and then all of a sudden you're gone overnight you flick a switch and it's and it's finished and you have to find something else and you have to embark on you know in a in a solo capacity the safety net of the team was always there all of a sudden now you're out on your own as an individual and um and so yeah I was glad I went and got that it it probably softened the landing a bit but I, I would say I still found it pretty difficult albeit I was busy in those early years I still found that transition a big challenge because what I discovered in, in the next walk of life was it wasn't as good as being a professional athlete um, and playing in big games and testing yourself week on week in an area that you felt pretty confident and comfortable. So, um, yeah, I was learning new skills, new skills as an analyst, as a pundit. Um, and so, you know, I was making mistakes on the, on the hoof and, and I was probably a bit too honest with, my assessment of what was going on and, and I needed to kind of learn my trade a little bit um, but do it in real time. So what um, what did you learn then with regards to, because you, you're playing at the highest level all over the world, World Cups, Lions Tours, uh, particularly uh, in the Irish press being under fierce um, criticism or, or praise so now in Europe, clearly, I think you mentioned that you quite there a lot of stuff. I didn't used to bother about papers, as, and I played just before social media. So there wasn't really that kind of all the stuff that people have to potentially deal with now. And I know that was just in its infancy when you finished. Hmm. But, the, but some of the kind of, you, I think you said, or friends or your dad would even phone you up and say, did they see what, what this person said about you and see what that person said about you? Now, 
as far as I was concerned, there was only one person whose opinion mattered, and that was Alec Ferguson's at Manchester United. And you learn that, I suppose, you, as you go along. But then, and I've never done, I've not done what you do because I vowed I wouldn't do it because I, I didn't like the, the ex-players. And I know they had to earn, they had to earn a living. But I didn't like the ex-players standing up there forgetting that they'd actually played. And some of them, some of them, uh, when I was playing, that's, that was the case. Uh, but I get the impression about a lot of your stuff is that you found a way of kind of softening criticism. Yeah, or... listen, there's lots of ways to skin a cat, isn't there? And I, I suppose you come from an environment where you, know, you you play a game on a Saturday and you get feedback on a Monday as to how you've done. Actually, you get feedback on a Sunday in the papers beforehand, so the public reads that and, and kind of makes their opinions and decides upon what they've read as to whether you've gone well or not. Um, and then on Monday, you get the real truth around it from your coaches and, and, and your teammates. And, and you have to go and improve certain things on Tuesday onwards to make sure you're back in the team on on Saturday. So it's the feedback was pretty black and white. And I suppose initially, I, I, I from a criticism point of view, I would always have been OK with criticism from people. I never held grudges. Um provided it wasn't a personal attack. If it was, if someone just talked about me, the player, what they saw on a, on a Saturday afternoon, I never had any issues because I felt as though it was my own greatest critic and times that people, you might've scored a couple of tries and people thought you had a wonderful game, but you were bang average. At least I, I know that, you know, I know that just because you, you might, you know, get a couple of scores doesn't mean that you've had a great 80 minutes might be important to the overall context of the result, but you know your personal satisfaction sometimes isn't high on on the back of that, um, and it it kind of paints over some of the cracks. And so there was, yeah, I I was I, I was used to kind of black and white, good or bad. And so then in your analysis, sometimes not without not being scathing, but just being a bit too blunt sometimes. And then I slowly learned over the first couple of years around different ways to to kind of navigate my way in punditry and. Particularly when I'm talking about old teammates um, and the guys that I'm still you know, friendly with. So Jonathan Sexton, who's still playing for Ireland now, you know, before it might have been that's a you know, it's a that's a poor pass from poor quality pass from Jonathan Sexton, then all of a sudden became that's a very uncharacteristic pass from John, Jonathan Sexton. It says the same thing, but it just softens it slightly. And players, you know, there are they're they're reading they read it all now. They read it all. The ones that say they don't read anything are liars, and certainly in rugby. And so um so you, you know, you have to be mindful of, you know, of what you are saying, particularly with young players, you know, because I was a young player once as well. And so to try and not dent confidences um, and to to say things in a constructive criticism way rather than uh, in a scathing way where you're going to you're, you're going to knock a player back in, in, in any way. So, yeah, I think that's been a learning process. I, I've made some mistakes along the way, but always tried to remember myself as the player that provided it was just about your performance and nothing else. Well, that that's what you're there to be judged on. Talking of saying things in the press, um, it, it leads us on nicely to a question I had for you, Brian. Um, it's fairly well known that you're a, a Manchester United fan. Um, so I wanted to turn to an interview you did with the club's My United magazine in March, 2016. And you were asked, who was your first United hero? And I quote, Mark Hughes, I had a friend who lived near me. He was a McClare fan, but I liked Hughes. 
So uh, how do you explain such a terrible uh, lapse of judgment? I'm just waiting for Sparky to do his own podcast, but this one came along first. So that's a good answer. Do you know I what? I have, the, I have the 1987 88. Um, it wasn't, it was pre premiership. So football league. And United might have finished 11th that season, but you were top, you were top scorer. And so myself and my mate, um, watched it countless times, and um, and he was a McClare fan, and and I was uh, a Mark Hughes fan, and and um, and it's mad, you know. I, I like I don't know how I, the the reason I'm a Man United fan is because I had cousins from Manchester, and they came over when I was five years of age, and they said, "Who do you support?" I was like, "I don't know." And it, you know, it was obviously a lot of my pals were Liverpool fans at the time, and they said, "You support Man United." And I said, right. And that was that was it from then on in. So, you know, I was buying VHS tapes when um they you know were barely featuring in the kind of in the late 80s. And then sure enough, the timing came brilliantly, you know, early 90s, and then you had this phenomenal 20-year period or you know, 15-year period anyway, where they've been exceptional and been the the standard bearer in, in English football. So um yeah, it, to to go back from from my first memory of buying a Man United VHS tape of finishing eleventh and one B McClare being top goal scorer, boy, they've come a long way, haven't they? Yeah, they've got a lot of better players now. Um, <laughs> but, but also with that, I, I think that you admire Sparky's thighs because you've got big thighs as well. I think it's all <laughs> I just loved he had a real edge to him, right? He obviously scored some great goals, but you know, it was before strikers were really seen to be throwing themselves around. It was kind of that era of of Gary Lineker, you know, never got a yellow card in his time. Alan Smith back then, you know, maybe he was a little bit after that. Was he um, one yellow card in his in his career? Whereas, you know, felt like every other game, Spark Hughes, Mark Hughes was was thrown in kind of the odd late challenge and just letting defenders know that it he wasn't they weren't going to have a an easy ride of it. And I could I could appreciate that. It's you know when you're doing something that. That is different than the norm, um, and and but it's it shows your appetite and and you know your competitiveness. I think there's something to to be attracted by in it. So um, yeah, that's what that was the connect there. Not that I didn't have so much love for you too, Brian. <laughs> Good. So you were talking about being diplomatic in your punditry. You, you just proved it right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking. Uh, would would Hughesy have made a, a good rugby player you know, with his build and his? Oh yeah, he'd have been good. Yeah, he'd have been good. He. Yeah, he'd have been a good centre. Um, obviously, you know, being Welsh as well. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there was some rugby in his life in in the early years. But um, but yeah, he, he you know he had all the hallmarks. Like like sport is is about competitiveness, you know. And so many good sportsmen and women can can kind of tr- cross over to multi- multiple sports if they've good hand-eye coordination, good athleticism. But then ultimately it's about the fight in you. It's about your desire. You know, that counts for a huge proportion of success in sport is how much you really want it and how much you're willing to push yourself and, and push those around you to get the most out of themselves. So, um, yeah, I, I would definitely feel as though uh, Mark Hughes could could fit into that category and could have played. I don't know, probably centre. Maybe I don't know if he had the wheels for the wing. Probably oh, could have played. No, probably could have. Um, probably could have played back <coughs> row, but maybe not quite big enough. But yeah, it would have made a perfect twelve. 
Did you play much rugby uh, growing up, Chucky? Or was that no, not really a big thing in the schemes uh, of Airdrie? No. Uh, well, you had, you had, oh, there was, there was, there were rugby teams, but it was, it was all about football from early time. The only, the only time I remember playing rugby would be at secondary school when it became that period of time. You know, you'd have cross country, you would have football, and then you would have rugby. We didn't have any cricket, and then at Christmas time, my favourite social dance. <laughs> Where you learn to do the gay gardens and other such things that you're probably doing in Kelso this last weekend, because <laughs> that's the only kind of places to still do it. But uh, I, uh, I just and the rugby team played the same time as the football team, so maybe if um, if they played at a different time, because I think it had some attributes that would have been related to some parts of rugby. As Brian said, I could catch the ball, I could run, I could kick the ball. I could see opportunities and I understood the rules of the game because I'd always watched, as it was then, the uh, the the, uh, the rugby uh, uh, international games. Um, so I had half an idea how to play, but as I said, played at the same time. So football was was uh, always the choice for me. And just there, Brian, when you're talking about Sparky, he uh, he he trained the same way as he played. You know, so when you talk about those tackles and different things, he used to do that in training. So he used to, we used to call him a strimmer, you know, because he would be running, flying around, <laughs> trying to. If he didn't get the ball, he was getting you, you know. And but he wouldn't be, he couldn't meet such a, a, a contrasting character. He was, a, he still is. He's very, very quiet, charming, and and equal. You'd expect him to be um, like that, but he's nothing, nothing at all. I think you've met him a few times. Nothing at all like that, you know. No, he's very quiet and kind of softly spoken. And I remember that I was at an Alex Ferguson dinner um, a few years ago that I met him for the first time. And I, I like I've met a good few people, and I'm, I'm not really the sort of person to really get starstruck. But he was the one person I thought, oh my god, like boyhood hero. <laughs> and um, and Kevin Moran was at the um, at the event and he knew that I, he was you know he, I, I was a big fan of his growing up and he said oh he let, let me take a photo of the two of you and I was like yeah brilliant and so I handed him my my phone and I can only describe the photo looking as though it was taken on a potato it was the worst <laughs> photography I have ever seen in my life Sparky completely blurred me like barely in shot as I was my one opportunity in my life to get a photo to go up on a wall with a hero and it's no good and then a few years and a few years later I was doing an event a uh, golf event with him and there was a Q&A thing going on and or a quiz going on and he was on my team and I was like motioning down to the table to get their photos out to take some pictures of me and Sparky sitting in a in a team together so I I think you don't grow out of that you know particularly your 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 real boyhood you know hero um your your first and um and yeah it'll always remain the case It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What were you like in, uh, in training and practice? Were you... Did you train the way you played? Or yeah, that that was a, that was a, that was a phrase that I would always have lived by. Um, yeah, you, you know, trainers you're going to play, trainers you're going to play, and it's very hard. You know, you can't go full bore in rugby all week, but very hard when the coaches say, "Oh, okay, you know, we we'll just go fifty percent." It was like fifty percent. Um, you know, you it's because for me it was very hard if you were if you're going through the motions during the week to then turn it on on a Saturday. Um, for me, if you were going full out, you know, throughout the week and giving it, you know, giving it everything, then the adrenaline and, and the atmosphere and everything that added on a Saturday raised your game 10 or 15% anyway. But if you're only working at 80, 85%, you know, then your capacity is limited, you know, come come the weekend. Um, so, yeah, it was a big focus of making sure that, um, I was always trying to, I suppose a lot of the time trying to be the best player, trying to be the, the best trainer um, and and kind of drive standards as much as you can. Because particularly in my early years of captaincy, because it probably wasn't the most comfortable speaker in, in our environment, um, I, I really had to lead by kind of performances and, and, and actions. And, and that's what felt most natural to me. And would you say that you were a coachable player? Did you listen yeah, to the coach? I was a good, yeah, I think or... I was a good listener. Yeah, I think I was a pretty good listener. I, I think I, I hope I kind of picked things up pretty quickly. Um, I remember one, um, I, had a, I had a bit of a run in with one of the fitness coaches um, about four or five years into um, into into playing, and we were in a bit of disarray at the time. We'd gone through a different couple of different coaches you know consecutively we're on our third one in three years and um anyway there's something in a drill and we didn't have a tetchy um relationship but we wouldn't have necessarily always seen eye to eye anyway there was a drill and i was someone asked me a question about it um that he had explained and i was just explaining it back to the guy and anyway he called me out of the group and he was like um shut your mouth Drigo, shut your mouth um and, uh, you know, I was like, I was just explaining. He goes, come on over here. And we squared up to each other. I was like, Jesus, this is going to go off in front of the boys. And he kind of gave me a shove. And I was like, I actually really respected him for it. I was like, he wasn't taking any shit. And um, I was like, you're, you're misinterpreting the situation, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, after he gave the shove, he realized he can't, can't be pushing players. And he's like, listen, I'm going to have to go. After the session, he goes, listen, I'm going to have to go and say it to the coach that that happened. You know, uh, I apologize. I was like, there's no need to say anything. It's grand. We're adults. He's like, no, no, no. This has to be said. So anyway, he had to go off um, and speak and, and talk to our coach. But actually, our relationship after that, I would say, improved no end um, where it was. It was like if someone's willing to step up and, and kind of show that level of passion for something that they're really into, I'm I kind of dig that and not take any shit, irrespective from who they're who they're 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 speaking to. So yeah, it's mad how sometimes there's there's those little catalysts can spark uh, a greater 
you know bond or, or a greater appreciation for what someone does. And where does where does the idea of passing the ball to yourself come from? Had you done it before? Had you seen that before? No, 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 I hadn't. Um, we always thinking about ways of how you can explore. Well, you know what? Yeah, just situations. having having fun. Do you know what well, the thing about that? The reason that I called it in that game is because um, Ulster, who we were playing against, love a shoot in defence. Their wingers always love to play high up and in, and so I thought, okay, what will actually find a way to cap to tease them into that and then exploit it out wide? And so what happened? This is a midfield scrum. It was meant to go out the right-hand side. and But I said to my winger, uh, Dennis Hickey, he's a good friend of mine. I said, Den, if the ball happens to come to us, you run a short line, we'll run a V together, and then I'm going to throw the ball over your head and catch it the other side. And he goes, all right. So he kind of laughed. Anyway, we're not expecting it. Anyway, our scrum gets demolished. And the ball spat out the back, and Chris Whitaker, the scrum half, fires it out to me. And I was like, well, I've called it. Better go through with it. So anyway... It happens perfectly. I run to to you know to a, to the V, as does he, and I pop it over his head and run around the side. And actually, I'm running up the touchline, and I, we should have done better than I did. But I'm I'm running up the touchline, laughing to myself that I can't believe it's actually it's actually come off. We should have scored a try from it, but um, but it was one of those moments that you kind of go, oh, that was kind of cool. It was nice to be part of it, but um, but yeah, should have should have made more of it at the same time. And did the coach have any comment at the end of the game about it? No, no not really. Like yeah. if it doesn't come off, you know, there was there was times that you know I did I did passes through my legs, um, you know that that would have come off and been and been successful. And then I remember I, I did one in a big game, and it, and it was a, it was a nice one, and and we scored a, a try from it. And then the coach was asked about it in the in the aftermatch um, press conference. He said, "Well, the great thing about good players is they pick their moments, and so we probably won't see another one from him, you know, for another couple of seasons." I must have had ten more on the back of having success from one, and none of them were as good as the original. <laughs> none of them. So you kind of have an inflated view of your ability as to what you know what you can pull off, but you got to pick and choose your moments. We're um we're obviously recording this in the middle of the um uh, Six Nations. Um, uh, I'm just thinking, Chucky, you must be pretty impressed with the, the resurgence of the Scotland team, and it looks like it could come down to a head to head between Scotland and Ireland, maybe. Uh, yeah, there's a distinct possibility that it's always the, the most important thing uh, about any situation in any sport is you beat the English. Now Scotland <laughs> have done that a few times. They're going to have the Ireland as three in a row. That's three in a row. Same thing, you know. So, uh, you want you want your, your you. I want Scotland and Ireland to do well, but I want England to do poorly. So, <laughs> just it's working out a treat so far. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and it may well do come down to that. But Ireland, are, Ireland are the best team in the world at the moment. So they, they, it'll be a it'll be a tough game in uh, at Murrayfield, but home, yeah. There's always a there's always a chance that the result can go Scotland's way, but. It's um, I, I, you know, I did, yeah, I did a, a piece before the Six Nations, and um, and and I did call it as Scotland was going to be the most difficult game. I fancied us against France at home. We've got a great record at home in in recent years, but people kind of get a sense because Scotland are in Ireland's group as well in the World Cup, um, and no one was really talking up Scotland, and then all of a sudden they got going against England and a good. You know, secondary performance against Wales. 
if they can go to France and get a result, which I think will be a big ask. I think it'll be a close game, but I, I fancy France getting it done. But even still, Ireland coming to uh, Murrayfield with hopes of having a Grand Slam game on Paddy's weekend against England, you know, the, the Scottish would love to upset that. And to get one over on them and, and sow so a seed of doubt for, for later on in the year in, in France at the World Cup. But, um, but I do think Ireland are a very, very impressive team at the moment. Incredibly well drilled, um, you know, good strength and depth, and you have a very clear understanding of how they want to play the game, and they've got a lot of points in them. I mean, I was just thinking, Chucky, you said a few times on this podcast about your hatred for England across all sports. I saw, um, I saw hatred. Uh, I desire, hate desire, to, desire to see them get beaten, should we say? I'll, um, I'll, I like to see them fail. Yeah, <laughs> I just. But, that's because I've I've lived in England. Brian's not, I don't think Brian's lived in England, so no. it's not. And it's not really the north of England, really, anyway. Because when we were playing, Brian, the criticism used to come from the the, the southern journalists. You know, the same newspapers, but it was mainly London-based journalists that would be giving you giving you stick and all that kind of thing. And then they were the same set of people who would always be saying that, well, we're going to win this, we're going to win that, and be, I think, over um, over inflating the opportunities for particularly in international football. So that used to just annoy me. So, and I thought, well, you know, I was looking at it from a practical point of view and thinking, yeah, you, you have decent teams and all that, and all so I've had, but never going to be quite as good as some of the other teams around about you. So to stop all this bullshit about it's coming home and all that kind of thing. So it's just natural for me when I lived in England that I supported everybody. I still do it. Everybody at, at cricket <laughs> and everybody else at rugby and everybody else. And it's only one time, Brian, that I've ever supported England in any sport over that 30-odd years, 40 years. And that was a rugby game. Against? Uh, South Africa. At Twickenham, okay, and it was at the end of apartheid. All oh, yeah. that come to an end, and South Africa's rugby team or group of selectors came to England with uh, a group of players, and every single one of them was white. They just steadfastly refused to pick. There was players that subsequently, but they announced that nah, I'm not. I can't. I can't yeah. support them against. This. And England beat them. So that was quite happy in that particular day. But that's the only time, rest of the time, I'm whoever, whoever they're playing against. Did you, <laughs> I've got a great so, collection so, of flags. So here's a question. So at, at World Cups or the Euros, are you are you cheering them on to a point or just not at, not at no. any point whatsoever? No. no. So you don't, no, well, you don't, want, point, you don't no. sorry, you don't even want to see it's coming home, getting to a semi-final and then, you know, <laughs> Disappointment. Oh, no, you couldn't live with oh, that. Yeah. You couldn't live with that. You'd have to leave. The best, I mean, the Euros, the Euro final was couldn't get any better than that. That's wonderful for as far as I'm concerned. That's the perfect scenario. That is perfect. But I would rather not go through that. I'd rather they got they got they got knocked out earlier, you know. I'm trying to be magnanimous because I'm watching the games. I'm watching the games in an English pub. With some friends, and I'm trying to be magnanimous in the quarterfinals. And all that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, look, I'm, looking, I'm 59 years of age. I'm trying to think of, look, it's not really that important, you know, when all these people are jumping up and down. But I went to watch the semi final in the same pub, and it was, I loved it. It's fantastic because I hadn't watched any of these games previously with an English audience. It's always either been at home or a few occasions I've been in Scotland. So they're actually watching these people like getting really. 
<laughs> well, if it, at the end suffer, you know, but up shouting at the television and all that kind of thing, and then to and then for me then to go, I'll say shame England were probably the better team, but you know these things happen, you know. If, uh, if I let's showed, all support, let's all support France. Now they'd be like, fuck off you. <laughs> if I showed you some of my text messages from the last Euros, Brian from Chucky, you, you'd know for a fact that he didn't want England to, to do anything <laughs> no, and, uh, yeah, and, and couldn't couldn't yeah. wait to. Uh, that, 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 I don't know if it's the same in rugby, Brian, but just arrogant. That's the thing about it for me. It's just this arrogance about that there's a divine right to when there isn't, you know. So, so when, when England get beat, you know, particularly when they're favourites and that that Twickenham, whoever it may well be, I love that because it's like, you know, that they, those types of English supporters deserve to to suffer, you know. Did you have that kind of rivalry in in the Six Nations games without going as far as Brian maybe? But. Yeah, I know you did. Like it's in Ireland. I think most of Ireland has the same sense of um, of of loving to beat England, irrespective of what sport we're playing in. You know, it's um, eight hundred years of oppression will do that to you. So, um, so, so it's hard to shake that. That said, that said, you know, on Lions tours, an awful lot of kind of the close friendships would have been built with English players. You know, they would have had, you know, we would have had a good bit of commonality and gotten on well with with some of those English boys as well. And and in the you know in the past, I suppose from a rugby point of view, back in nineteen seventy two during the Troubles when um, when Wales and Scotland wouldn't travel to Dublin for fears of of you know uh, of the of the you know, the troubles escalating down there, England did come. You know they were the they were the ones that that arrived, and so we've a huge amount to be thankful for from their perspective. They they backed us for the for hosting the World Cup in twenty twenty three when Wales and Scotland didn't. So like as much as yeah, I understand the country narrative is to. Um, to always want to beat England, and and I subscribe to that, you know, because England are more often than not one of the best teams in the world as well, and they're worth beating. I also do have this underlying, you know, sense that they've been good to us from a rugby perspective. If you take the eight hundred years oppression out of this conversation, <laughs> um, they they no, you know, they have they have they've they've. Being an ally, an, an ally of of Ireland's in 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 a rugby context, grudging respect. I think we'll call that. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, talking of rugby and football, I mean, rugby is often held up as an example that football could follow in terms of respect for referees and use of technology, that kind of thing. Um, how do you both feel about football learning and implementing these different values in terms of behaviour towards officials and using VAR? You know, the, the introduction of uh, Video. I mean, the common thought is it works in rugby. It doesn't work in football on both counts. I just wondered if um, if you think that. I mean, Ryan, did you? They get it wrong in rugby. Still, they still get yeah. it wrong in rugby. You know, it's not it's it's not a perfect situation. Um, I think VAR is very frustrating. You know, it was meant it was brought in and it was meant to kind of clear up situations where I think it's, it's almost created on almost a greater confusion at times where we, we don't understand if the tech is there, but yet you know, human instinct doesn't feel as though it agrees with it. It seems really weird. Also, I think in sport, you don't want to take that element of 
controversy out of it completely. You know, is that not what sport is? Mm. That occasionally you, you get some of this stuff wrong and um, and that, you know, it is human error, but that's part and parcel of what we've grown to love. It's they're the talking points in pubs afterwards. That you, you know, referee did a job and you're a, you know, a linesman did a, um, or an assistant referee did a did a job on you because they didn't call something the way everybody else saw it, or and and or you, it splits opinion. That that is sport. That's mm-hmm. what we that's what we we enjoy about it. Um, and most recently in in the Ireland France game, you know the referee Wayne Barnes only gave a yellow card to the French prop Antonio looked like the most or a yellow card he looked like the most red card of all time and. And yet, you know, we got to play, finished out 80 minutes. It was good from an Irish perspective that we still managed to win the game and it was against yeah, 15 yeah. men. There was no excuses. But um, but there is, there's there's definitely, um, I, I don't think you want to take out that element of chance from from sport and um, and and what we've, I suppose, what we've all grown up understanding and, and technology is a relatively new aspect to our, to our kind of, our experience of watching games, but don't let it control it or take it over. Yeah. I mean, Chucky, you obviously played football for a long time and, and, and you're a big rugby fan as well. Do you, did you feel that there could be? Oh, the cricket, the cricket, it's any sport that it's involved in, particularly team sport. It's ruined it. That's the bottom line, ruined it. There's only two important groups of people in team sport and it's the players and the supporters the, the coaches and managers have tried to kind of push their way in now, but they're not they're not really that important. So it's the players and the man and the and the supporters. And when that event occurs, a score, a wicket, a goal, it's that's taken away from taken away from everybody now. So that's the most joyous part of being involved in mm. rugby. I've never seen Brian crossing that line and not smiling, you know, or throwing the ball in the way and not enjoying yourself. And ever so you, you nowadays they're all looking around to see, hold on a minute. Yeah, because uh, you'll know fine well that you suspect it might be a forward pass, but how how forward was it? And that joy is getting taken away. I was talking to someone the other day who's going goes to watch a football team that watched all their life, and they won't celebrate until it's actually been cleared by VAR. Now that's that for me. That's just killed the game for them, and it kills it for the players and kills the supporter. Spoiled it. The second part you're taking back now, and you've touched on the same thing, Brian, is that. Who's drawing the lines and how do we know they're drawing the lines in the right places? And what team do they support? Have they got a bias? You know? Yeah. So I know for myself, I'd like to think it was completely clear that I might rule a goal off for England. I might rule a try off for England just because of my thoughts. And sometimes, you know, you try to be clear, but I'm saying the same thing. So if it's a, a rabid Manchester United fan or a rabid Liverpool or a rabid Chelsea in a particular game, have they drawn the lines in the same place? Have they made the same thickness? I don't know. I have no mm. idea what happens in that. But it's just, for me, it's just ruined the game. You're just sitting there watching the game and then hoping, as it goes, not a goal. And then by that time, that joy of actually the event is gone. What a, what a, there's, a, there's the exact same situation happening in rugby at the moment, and we we accuse the French um, broadcasters <coughs> of of being um, of of kind of playing games a little bit where when the TMO is asked for replays that the director French directors might only play in certain replays that are you know that 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 don't kind of give full context to what you know the outcome might um, might might be so. Um, I think the 
you know, there was a case in the Ireland game where we were, where it was no different, where whoever the operator was only saw an angle after the try had been awarded, after the goal kick had been taken, and then after the restart had, had begun. And so the referee couldn't bring the game back. So it, it does. It, who's, whose level of bias actually has an impact on the overall outcome of about what images are shown and then as a result, what, what outcome um, is derived from it? One one thing that's often uh, you know accused of footballers is their this sort of lack of respect to referees. Chalky, I just think you know how do you feel? Because famously in rugby, there's, well, so, there's a huge amount of respect. Yeah, the, I think again that's something that uh, you are um, taught and uh, from a very early age. Um, and I think that probably and you learn from seeing your peers playing, whether that's where you're going to. Two football matches, or you watch football matches on the television. So that's the kind of thing that just keeps continuing. So certainly, when I was coaching with the young kids in Manchester United Academy, we stopped all of that. We we stopped ourselves behaving in that kind of way. We stopped shouting at referees. We stopped getting onto the assistants, and then we stopped kind of having discussions or uh, banter or uh, arguments with the opposition coaches and telling the players that. If you foul somebody, pick them up, dust them off, and apologise. The reason for that was that we were hoping, we were expecting that some of those players are going to play in European football. When you play in European football, the their idea of what is a foul and their idea of behaviour is different. So you can't be going into big games. So Brian's playing the semi-final, the Heineken Cup, or the final of the Heineken Cup. You can't be going in to the game, and after five minutes, one of your players has got booted. For, rem- for for arguing with a referee because you see a lot of the European games they don't take any shit they just try it with a card so for you're going to play the rest of that game with the thinking well what do you do do I take that player off and change the whole dynamic or potentially the the tactics involved in that particular game or do you try and teach them at an early age and what we found Brian was that we actually started getting decisions from referees they've not, they'd not had this before and even in youth football, we were going, that's never a... And you, the, the referee would go on, on you because it was like he's getting this in his ear from all the players on the other side and the coaches and all that kind of thing. And it, it became beneficial. One of the problems is that is when you've got the manager telling you, you get onto that linesman, you get onto that linesman, the very first minute, you get onto him because he's whatever it is the manager thought he was. So I was told to go on and berate the linesman. I got booted right at the beginning of the game, <laughs> right at the beginning of the game, but then apparently it was somebody else's choice. So, I, and I'm going, well, so when the secretary wants to find me for dissent, and I'm going, well, hold on a second, I, I was just following the manager's instructions. He wouldn't do that. I will go and ask him. <laughs> and I didn't get fined because the manager confessed <laughs> that, yeah, I did I did ask him to do it. Maybe not as angrily and, and as, as enthusiastically as I took the task on board, you know, thinking, well, this is, I'm, the manager's told me doing this, I'll just say whatever I want to say, you know, and then, yeah, but I got booked for it. Uh, but no, I think that because of that, you have to find a way of, uh, and I think it's right, you know, I, there's, and it, it gets, Again, talking about television, Brian, particularly in football, they'll always pan to the player who's uh, upset with the referee decision and you can literally and quite clearly see that they're, um, they're swearing or calling the referee something. But they might be, but, but you get that impression that he's standing right next to the referee, whereas he's not. The referee's already ran back 20 or 30 yards, so the referee can't probably hear him or not really bothered. But I think sometimes, yeah, that the referee should, should, 
should that should be a thing that particularly in the if you you think you're being uh, abused verbally that that and the players will learn they've got to learn because they're either going to be well, hit why, why don't they have that are not playing. Yeah, well, that's, why, that's why don't the they? That, that's the thing to do, surely, right? Exactly, is give yeah. give referees yeah. greater power. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they should just make the decision, and you stop doing it, and your coaches will tell them, "Look, you have to be careful." And because they will do it in the European games, right? No, no doubt they'll be saying, "Look, this referee, this thing." But I mean, you have that that thing last weekend about um, Barcelona paying an ex referee a fortune to find out what referees and and assistant referees were like. That's how the, the the margins of success are now in, in in professional sport. How can you find that again? They were trying to find it by thinking, well, what, what kind of persons? That, I'm not suggesting they were doing anything else, but what how their performances are and what how can you gain advantage from that or from the knowledge? Well, on a Friday after we had, you know, before we did our captain's run, we'd have a team meeting and I don't know whether they're still doing it now, but we would, you know, we might run through three or four of their key individuals and just run through some of the key points, you know, you know what their favourite favorite plays are, you know, 100% right arm carry or left arm carry, whether they, you know, chop step off left or right. But what we'd run through is the video of the referee as well as to what they're hot on. So you'd have four or five different components for the game the next day to go, okay, you know, Wayne Barnes likely to blow a penalty within the first minute for not rolling away from a rock. Tackler has to roll away. Don't be caught. Don't be that guy. We've warned you. Don't be that person. So, you know, certain certain referees have traits that they go to and they hang on, hang on to, even though they're, you know, their referee um, kind of managers are giving them a dictate as to what specifically at a particular time they need to focus on. They all have bugbears themselves that they will penalize immediately. So, there's huge analysis done on, on individual referees now to be able to understand what they are thinking before they actually blow their whistle. This, um, this point that you make there of gaining an advantage, it, it, I was thinking the other day about this. Now, Brian, you, you featured in a game that um, yeah, saw a famous incident in 2009 and referring to the um, Bloodgate incident with uh, Harlequins, Tom Williams using a blood capsule to instigate a late substitution to their advantage. I've been thinking recently, what do you think about the potential for concussion substitutions in football and, and potentially the same thing happening? You know, uh, last minute someone happens to get concussion. So uh, a set piece specialist could come off the bench and, uh, you know, take a penalty or a free kick. Do you think there's room for exploitation there, Chucky, or am I being too cynical? I think when it comes to rules, uh, the first thing that most um, coaches uh, will do is try and find a way of circumventing those scenarios. And there will be people who will, will try and take advantage of such things. I mean, quite clearly, the incident you're talking about everybody is, is cheating at the highest order, you know. But again, he didn't decide that, you know. He didn't wake up in the morning and decide at some point in the game that he's, well, first of all, is where does he get such a thing? You know, does, do all rugby players have them in their toilet bags? You know, like, are they going to take it onto the pitch and then create that? So, no, somebody gave it to him and somebody gave him an instruction that if at a certain time there is a, a few or whatever, and that's what happened, right? So, the quite rightly, uh, it was pulled up upon. Because, I mean, I'm sure that Brian playing the game must have been looking going, hey, that's not real or whatever, or that's not a... That, well, that you're playing in real time. You know? 
Yeah, you're playing in real time. You don't really know what's going on. You're just focused on your on your own performance. But you're right about the manipulation of of rules. There's a couple of times that that it's happened. Um, so in 2012, I tore my my menis- meniscus, my cartilage, eight days out from a from a Heineken Cup final. And anyway, I got an operation the next day, and and I thought I, I still I need to play in this final still. Um, and so I did. I you know, worked on it all weekend, and then by by Wednesday I was back running, and and it looked like I was going to be able to play. And so I played in the game on on Saturday, and you know strapped my knee up in a big way. But about 55 or 60 minutes into the game, I was getting cramped. And, um, but luckily my sutures had, had, had burst. And so there was blood seeping, trickling down my legs. So I went over to the referee, Nigel Owens. I was like, ref, I've got some blood here. So we need to get a blood substitute on. So I ran off the field, got a blood sub on. I got a massage in my calf, which was cramping up for 10 minutes. Got got worked on that, and then back on ten minutes later, blood cleaned up, and and away you go again. So you do you 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 work the rules to your favor as much as you possibly can. There was another situation in two thousand and nine where a game went to penalty kicks in a semi final before we were waiting in the final for the for who was it uh, Leicester and Cardiff. Anyway, there was a French scrum half called Julien Dupuis who had been subbed off. Anyway, one of the boys had a bloody nose and with a minute to go in 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 extra time before it went to kicks, they subbed him off and, and called for Julian Dupuis. No one could find him anywhere. He's in the dressing room having a smoke. Um, and and literally he was like, Julian, come on, we need you for his boots off as he's come running down the touchline to smoke and hand it out just before coming out the tunnel, stamps it out. Two, ties his shoelaces up and then knocks over the 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 penalty kick or the um the the conversion you know from front of the sticks as one of the the successful ones and they went on and qualified for for the final so um there are situations where you'll always find a way to manipulate the rules that are in existence but there's manipulating rules and there's blood capsules so they're two very yeah. different things <laughs> And and the thing again as well, Brian, you'll be well aware of that, is that the, the rules are the same, right? So the rules of rugby and the rules of football are the same rules and applied the same way. What you find is that even though there's the same rules, they have a different interpretation of those rules depending on which country you're playing in. So mm. Scotland, Ireland, Wales and England have all the same kind of idea of how you play the game, a kind of Corinthian spirit, and you should abide by the rules. The French have got a completely different idea mm. about how those rules are. The Italians have got a completely different idea, and, and it's just their culture. It's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's the way that they have always been interpreted the rules and how they've been refereed throughout that. And a lot of that's where you've got to understand, maybe when you're going to play in Rome or you're going to play in Paris, look, this is a different situation we're going to be facing. I would assume it's the same in Australia and New Zealand, and it's not better or worse, it's just their interpretation. And you have to be prepared for all those situations. But but like you said, uh, cheating is appalling, you know. Well, and to be remembered, I mean, remember, imagine that being your legacy. You'd be you were you were the one who cheated in a game of rugby, you know. Well, the other thing on that as well is like we were obviously it was a quarter final, it was the first year that we won the Heineken Cup in, in 09. And Imagine, you know, if they had, if, the, if you know, Nick Evans, who was substituted on, imagine he had knocked over that drop goal and they'd gone through to a semi-final. Imagine how un, unjust that would have felt from our perspective. Thankfully, that wasn't the case. But 
it could have been an awful lot nastier had the result been been different. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, there's, we're all there to try and test the limitations as to, you know, the laws of, of the sport and laws of rugby, whereas, you know, there's, there's a, there's a line that you just can't cross. And, and that was definitely one of those occasions. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Literally none of you out there has requested another one of our daft quizzes, but we're going to do one anyway. Uh, this one has imaginatively been called The Lives of Brian's. And it goes like this. <laughs> Just like a penalty shootout, you both get five alternate goes each. Winner is the person with the best score at the end. Uh, and if there's a tie, you each get to share the trophy because we can't be bothered making up a tiebreaker question. Um, and your specialist subject for this clash of minds is Brian's. We'll give you a statement about a famous Brian, and you have to tell us if that statement is true or false. If it's true, please say Brian. If it's false, we want you to say lion. Um, do you both understand the rules of the contest? <laughs> I think so. And no right. cheat after what we've just yeah. said, no cheating. Yeah, no, no. We don't. We, we, we can't manipulate the rules because we don't know what the rules are. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, our guest gets the honour of going first. So, Brian, we're starting with Sporting Brian's, and what better way than this? Brian McClare, former Manchester United and Celtic footballer, once had a walk-on part in Coronation Street buying shoot magazine from Rita Fairclough's paper shop. Is that Brian true or lying? False. I'm going to say it's Brian. I wish. Oh. <laughs> I wish that was Brian. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> that's it's false. It's a lion. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I could remember that anyway. Even if it had happened, you know. So. <laughs> you would have, if you'd done that, Brian. You'd have an even bigger hero of mine. But uh, oh well, actually, my, my son's girlfriend was on Cornish Street last week. So there you go. So, so. Oh well. Yeah. Oh, if we'd known that, we could have yeah. put that in the quiz. Okay. Yeah. Chucky, your chance to take the lead. So, Chucky, your Brian is, of course, Ireland and Lions rugby captain Brian O'Driscoll, who in his teens competed internationally for Ireland at Subutio. Is that Brian, true, or lying, false? That's lying. It's lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so straight through that one. Uh, so you- he, was, he was outside all the time. He was never inside. Correct. He was outside. I know that. Correct. He was outside. Correct. There's no chance of playing studio. No computers, no studio. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're going to move on to boy band Brian's. Okay. So, uh, Mr. O'Driscoll, yours is Brian Harvey, erstwhile singer of 90s teen sensations East 17, who once ran himself over with his own car, blaming the accident on eating too many jacket potatoes. Is that Brian, Brian or Lion? That's what, <laughs> yeah. he did. He definitely ran over himself. I wasn't sure about the jack and potatoes, but he definitely <laughs> ran over himself. I remember that. So definitely, yeah. Brian. <laughs> yeah, per, yeah, you got that one. That was probably a bit too obvious. That one. Excellent. Well done. So that's one. Well, one. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. So. Oh, see. Well, let's see what you uh, get on with your 
your um, former band uh, member, Chockey, and it's uh, former Westlife band member, Brian McFadden, who is a second cousin of Steve McFadden, the man that plays Phil Mitchell in EastEnders, although they've never actually met in person due to a non a long-running family dispute. Is that Brian or Lyme? Oh, I like that one. Brian. Oh, he's blazed it over. Brian's shaking his head. So you, did you know nah, that one? I, I would have said, I, I think that was too elaborate. I, I don't get, I've never heard it. I've never heard that before. You don't give us that after you know the answer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he, was, he was, in fairness, he was shaking his head as, as we were reading the questions. So, you know. so well, I, think, I don't like it. They could have been trying to catch me out. I'm not falling for these no, tricks. Don't, like, I'm, not falling for the, I'm not falling for that throwing the pass to yourself. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not. back in the game here. I'm back in the game. I'm excited again. Yeah, it's still one up, isn't it? And we're, we're level okay. on kick. So, uh, Mark? It is, yeah. So, Brian, let's see if you can move into the lead. So, uh, we're moving on to acting, Brian's. So, we're giving you veteran English actor Brian Blessed, he of the booming voice and the long beard. Uh, Mr. Blessed is a renowned adventurer, having climbed or attempted to climb some of the world's highest mountains but he's also the oldest man to reach the magnetic north pole on foot and when he got there he punched a polar bear in the face brian <laughs> or lion <laughs> that's, that's just, there's too much in that there really is too much for that to be a brian i, I, I don't, like it's so specific um punched a polar bear. No, that's a lion i'm sorry you can't punch a polar bear in the face <laughs> Well, actually, it's a Brian. <laughs> what <laughs> God's sake? What? <laughs> you were the polar bear in the face. I thought you were going to say it was so specific uh, uh, it had to be true, but you went the yeah, other way. No. <laughs> Apparently, a polar bear stuck its face in his tent and he whacked it on the nose. So, yeah, oh, it's true. God's sake. Okay. Oh, so we're still 1-1, one, one, aren't we? And this is your chance, Chucky, to, uh, oh. to take the lead. This is a low-scoring shootout, this one. Uh, it's exciting. Chucky, your thespian Brian is Brian Cranston star of U, uh, US TV show Breaking Bad. Now, Brian Cranston once saved the life of a former US President George W. Bush in college when the latter started choking on a chicken wing at a frat party. True or false? Brian or Lion? Lion. Oh, I saw straight through that. And he's right. It was false. I think it was a chicken wing. <laughs> <laughs> it was a drumstick. Yeah. You, uh, I don't think you've ever choked on a chicken wing, Brian. I mean, you, you eat the bones anyway, so you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So you've got a pull level now, Brian. So we've got um, rock music, Brian's next up. Uh, and yours is Queen guitarist and rock Brian legend, May. Brian May who was awarded a PhD in astronomy from Imperial College London for a thesis that took him 36 years to complete. Brian or Lion? I think I heard about him being into astrology. I'm going to say... Um, no, 36 years is too much, isn't it? Um, oh, I don't know. Brian... Oh, yes, you talked yourself into that, out of it, and back into it again. You're right, he was a Brian, yeah. That was the longest run-up yeah. to a penalty I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> either, either, either got, it'd have been overturned with the new rules now, it'd have been timed out. <laughs> Very good, OK. So we're at 2-2 two, two now, so we're level. So over to you, Matthew. OK, Chucky, your rocking Brian is Canadian uh, singer Brian Adams, who, as his 45 recalls, was indeed in a band in the summer of 69, from which Jimmy quit and Jody got married. Uh, that's lying. He's good at this. 
It is, he is good. We've, he is we've, good. Got, we've done many a quiz over the, down the last couple of years with many a guest, and Brian's Chucky's usually terrible, but he's uh, he's obviously been practicing. <laughs> yeah. So he's gone three two up. Is that right? Three two up. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, uh, we're up to the fifth uh, fifth question each. And so I can't, round off. Get, I, I can't lose then, can I? You can't lose. No. No, I can't lose. All right. So we're going to round off the quiz with a pair of cocks. Uh, No, not me and Matthew. Uh, But a couple of Brian Coxes. Uh, So Brian, yours is Professor Brian Cox, who knows a lot about space and time and all that, and tries to educate us on the topic on the telly. Um, He played keyboard on D-Ream's massive mid-90s dance hit, Things Can Only Get Better. Brian or Lion? Yeah, I think that's true. I think that is Brian. Um, I think I've, did I hear that? Yeah, I'm going to say Brian. Oh, do you know what? I've, I've, thrown, no, I've thrown you a dummy. He I've said he didn't play keyboards. He didn't play keyboards. Yes, but. He did play keyboards with D-Ream, but he didn't play on their most famous oh, hit. So, God, apologies. Oh my, I'm sorry. I've thrown you the dummy. Give you the swerve there. That is, you are, that is. That's dirty. Even the most ardent of Brian Cox fans wouldn't have known the specifics <laughs> around which tunes he was on or not. I don't, Come I on. Don't th- I, I, I don't think Brian Cox knows the answers to that. That's true. That's true. Exactly. That's, uh, talk about He's going to be listening going, really? <laughs> I can't believe you, you, oh, you came off your line way too oh, early. Sorry about that. Sorry. You don't need to answer that stuff. That was... Well, we do need to finish off, just to make it fair. And to finish off, Chucky, <laughs> you got Scottish actor Brian Cox, who was once on the books of Dundee United, but after an altercation in the dressing room with manager Jim McLean after a reserve team game, was subsequently thrown out of the club and never played professional football again. True or false? Well, a lion. He's oh, about the same age. Yeah. He's about the same age. I've got Jim I played under him. Lion. That's true. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's lying. Yeah. Well, well deduced. I mean, if you throw Jim McLean in there, you could always, you know, anything could happen. But, uh, mm, yeah. But no. So I think you make that. Was that three, three, one? Yeah, three, one. Four, three, one, two. I don't know. Two. Something like that. Well, well, four, two. I get two, right? Four, two. Okay. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Okay. Four, two. Well, four, two. Congratulations, Jockey. You, uh, I'll send you another mug to add to your collection. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we go to the mailbag, I've got one more question for Brian, and it's a very critical question. Is Who noticed that you brought the wrong dog back home? Me. You. <laughs> How long did it take you? I, um, well, when I... Um, you know, you've got to tell the whole with, story. I've just okay. you there. All right, so my missus asked me to go and pick up the dog from the, from the groomers, and I was a bit... It was in a bit of a hurry because I was coming from down the country and I was like, oh, and I had a call to be back on. Um, anyway, I I did it. I was on, on the phone to uh, some at the time. And anyway, I went into the groomers and there was a new girl there. And I said, yeah, can I pick up Phoebe, please? And she goes, okay, um, Phoebe, I, I, I don't know which one this is because my wife had dropped it in. And I was like, okay. And they always look a bit different when, you've, when they've been groomed, right? So anyway, I... <laughs> dog comes out and I look at her and go, I was like, I don't think that's her. No. Um, and then I see it's Willie. I was like, no, 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 that's not her. And then another dog comes out and looks sort of like her. And I was like, Phoebe. And the next thing the dog jumped up on me. I was like, that's her. Grant. So I'm still on the call. Anyway, I, I lift her up and, um, and, and put her into the back of the car and I'm driving back home. It's only about, 
five or six minutes and she kind of gives out a, a weird bark. I was like, God, she really isn't herself. She hates the groomers. She really isn't sounding like herself. Anyway, I open the back door when I get back to the house and she doesn't jump out. And I'm like, oh, dear, something's not right here. Um, and it was triggering at that stage. I was like, she's this, I don't know if this is our dog. Um, so anyway, I brought her in uh, to the house and she goes running in and we had no pair at the time. It was only with us about 10 days. And she goes, oh, Phoebe. She goes, is Phoebe? I was like, oh, my God. And my old pair already knows that it's not our dog. And I'm I, we've owned her for three years. So anyway, I run out to the back garden with the dog. My miss is on the phone to someone um, over in America. So she's like, I'm on the phone to America. I was like, OK, Um is this our dog? Is this Phoebe? She goes, what? I said, is this Phoebe? She puts a call on, on hold. And she goes, Phoebe. No, bring it, bring it back. So back into the, um, back into the car, back to the uh, groomers. And um, yeah. Hi, can I have my dog instead of this Phoebe? And so I was just thinking what our dog must've thought as I was taking another dog away with. (laughs) And, and, and I, now appreciate that they look quite different. Um, but it was actually weird. Weirdly, I was in um, I was in the park the other day with my kids, and and a dog came walking along. You know, teenager was walking the dog, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's the head off our dog Phoebe!" And uh, I was like, "He goes, oh, you're Brian Driscoll." I was like, "Yeah, how's it going?" I was like, "Your dog's so like ours." He goes, "I know." I was like, "We've I've seen pictures on your missus' social media of uh, of your dog." It's the head off. I was like, oh, my God, if I'd taken that dog home, it wouldn't be realistic. <laughs> but the one I did take home, not so much so. Please tell me you're not asked to go to the dog rooms anymore and pick well, up. Listen, listen, of course I'm not. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't I don't ever get what you know what's requested in the shopping either. Yeah. Or... Do, do, a bad, do a job badly and you'll never get asked to do it again. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, so no. I now, like for the for weeks after, it was like everyone walking down the street was like, Oh, is that your dog? I was like, come on, you gotta go give me a better one than that. Give me a better one than that. I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to laugh, but hit me with something good. It's only gonna get worse um, after the thousands of people that listen to our show. Correct, correct. I won't I won't, I won't be safe over in Scotland or in Manchester or anywhere when I'm walking my dog. <laughs> you just get to anywhere where you've got your dog or not. That's just sort of part in Scotland, you'll just be asking. When you wandered about Edinburgh in a couple of weeks, that's what people will be coming up and ask, saying to you, you know. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew, have a rummage around in the mailbag and pull a few questions out. Have been sent in by our listeners, please. Okay, we'll start with a rather heavy topic here. Martin Lee asks, is it acceptable to have a favourite crisp that isn't tato, cheese and onion flavour? He says, Irish people do get very defensive over tatoes, don't they? (laughs) They do, they do. I I think if you're having a a cheese and onion crisp in Ireland, you're you're mad if you're you're choosing an alternative to to tato, cheese and onion. Like there's, there's... an equivalent king crisp, but they're nothing on on Tato. So um, I, I think you can't specify around crisps at large. I think you've, you've got to talk about the different flavors within the crisp market. And if you are eating cheese and onion, you got to eat Tato. But 
I'm partial. I'm not really that much of a crisp eater, but I'll I'll have a I'll, I'm a salt and vinegar guy to be honest with you. So yeah, I'm not I'm not overly picky. Um, Pringles, I'll eat them. Very diplomatic. Much right. you're, very, you're too diplomatic for this. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the 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 long and uh, short was... of it is, potato, cheese, and onion. Yes. Well, having said that, when I was at an event in Dublin last summer, Brian, and the, one of the guys had come down from Belfast under the instructions to buy cheese and onion potatoes in Bel- in Dublin because they taste different in Northern Ireland. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> yeah, that was it. He had to go back with a big, huge, big bag of from Dublin because she's saying that the, the whatever they're produced in the north of Ireland they don't taste the same. So there you go. A pint of Guinness, I can appreciate on, on with that. But <laughs> mm-hmm. some potato, cheese and onion, I'm not so sure. Potatoes are important to some people, you know. So what's your favourite? Chucky, what's your crisp of choice? Go-to crisp of choice? Uh, golden Wonder cheese and onion. Yeah. Okay. Going back a few years, though, do they still do Golden Wonder? But, but, what I, but what I do is, when I buy crisps, I, I, I crunch all the crisps up in their little tiny pieces. Yeah, but you only do that so other people can't come and take one from your bag. That's why you do. And then I, 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 I pour a packet of salted peanuts inside them and then mix them all around, and that's how I eat my. That is true. I have, I have seen. But, it. but I think it's like if you, if you get annoyed by crisp rustling, then that must be really irritating here yeah, because it makes a hell of a racket. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't want to be doing that in the cinema. <laughs> uh, no. No. I might try it the next time I go to the cinema and see if I can get some space round about me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, Chris Malloy asks you, Brian, he says, did you ever consider a move to Munster in 2005-06 when Ronan O'Gara was showing an interest? No. Strong no, hard no. Um, no, like I, they were playing good rugby and they were playing kind of, they are on the cusp of, of some success, but... Even though my mother is from Munster, um, I I could never have seen myself playing in in Munster Red. No, mm, fair enough. I was thinking before I read that this question out. I was thinking earlier, Brian, were you ever? How, did you ever have your head turned? You know, in your peak of yeah. powers at United. I mean, not just. Um, I mean, for both of you, this could be for. I mean, Chucky, did you ever get a, a phone call when you were banging the goals in for United and maybe live you know, with Liverpool? No. Or, no, no, never, no. No, I didn't, uh, there was no, no, no other, well, I mean, maybe there was, but I mean, uh, uh, um, but I, I was not aware of any of them, no. no. I, I assume it's a tricky one, like, like you say, Brian, you know, you go into a, if it's a side that's just not, you just can't face, uh, it's just a big And that's why, I, that's why I think, you know, you know, players that have bounced around, obviously money talks, but, you know, players that have bounced around kind of, Clubs, huge rivals. I, I just don't get it, and I can understand, you know, the the Gary Neville treatment of Peter Schmeichel when he went across to to City. You know, at that time where you know there's no friendly friendly stuff, where you're going to the, one of the main rivals. You just, you, I, I I wouldn't be a big subscriber to to that personally. So um, you got to do what you got to do if you're if you're a peripheral player and you're not getting game time and another club comes along. It's, it's a it ultimately it's a livelihood. But um, you know, thankfully I, I was I was in the position that I was able to hang tough and and then we had some success with, uh, with my own home home club team. Yeah, I think it goes a long way in the eyes of supporters. Um, and talking of which, uh, Cumbrian Dave sent in his usual question as he does every every episode. 
This one's for Chucky. Brian, at the recent event uh, that you and some of your old ex-teammates had at the Lowry Hotel to celebrate the anniversary of United win the league in 1993, uh, what was your favourite part of that event? It's always nice to meet up with people again. It's just a pity that that because the the, the United Cup game had been rearranged uh, for an 8 o'clock, on, which I'm delighted never not to be involved in football. Who wants to play any sport at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night? That the 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 gig got changed from in the evening to the afternoon. Uh, quite a lot of the lads were working uh, in hospitality at the game, so uh, as much as we had a nice time, it was good to catch up with people, and I think we could have a few laughs. It would have been a much better time if we'd been we spent the whole evening together, maybe having a couple of pints again, which may or may, may or may not have been more entertaining, but. It's uh, it's nice to see. It, it was nice, and and I think for people who were there, and that it was, it was those guys who had been played a, a big part in the first Premier League when just telling stories that you people would probably never heard because kind of stories that happened in between all of us, you know. So I, I enjoyed the event, and I think that there was uh, the people who were there enjoyed it. So I think there may be another one. <clears throat> later on in the year. Uh, Do you have a WhatsApp group with that crew? No. no. Yeah. I'm the miserable one, Brian. I'm the one that wouldn't yeah. keep they, 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 do. they, they do. do. They do. Yeah. They've got one. Yeah, they've they got one. I'm, not, I'm, I'm excluded. I'm just, <laughs> I, I was just thinking, when you did that reunion dinner, did you think that your beard would be all over the national press the next day as it was? Well, it was it's been, it was all over the week before, though, for some... I mean, you know, it's... The story goes, Brian, did you recognise this guy? And I'm the similar to you. I get recognised all the time, irrespective of where I've got glasses, a beard, or my hair long or short, you know? So it's just like, you know, like people go, oh, Brian McClare. And then what I say is different for you, because what I tell people now when they ask you, because it's part of my enjoyment, Brian, is that they'll go, excuse me, um, uh, are you Brian McClare? And they'll say, well, I used to be him. <laughs> and they go, they'll, they'll pause and stop. Like thinking, well, who are you now? Or <laughs> by, by, which, you by which time Brian's legged it down the road, so I'm <laughs> away, you know. So <laughs> it's just part of the thing about it, you know. So it, it it mystifies me really what it is. Is man gets old. That's just, that's <laughs> it, you know. But, <laughs> But then, but I was all over the place, so it's, it's just yeah, Brian, it's, I don't know, Brian was know, Brian so. was trending. Chucky was trending number one, uh, trending on Twitter for a, a few hours on a Saturday night, and me and Mark both looked at each other and text each other and said, "Oh my God, is he dead?" But uh... <laughs> I, saw, I saw the photo as well. Geez, Lee Sharp still looks unbelievably young. Holy shit! All right, like, thanks, Brian. <laughs> ne- next to Dennis Irwin <laughs> oh Dennis I well, he is he is yeah, yeah. A, a rugby re- do you do a lot of those sort of uh, old school reunion type things we had one um, we had one a couple of months ago um, where yeah like a 10 year reunion <coughs> on our 2000 yeah, obviously because of COVID we didn't get to do the 2011 2012 Heineken Cup victory reunion properly so they, they just did the the two years uh, into one. And so, yeah, we had a just before one, a, a Leinster game and we had a function and it was kind of, it was cool catching up with everyone. And you, and you kick back into, into kind of the norm of dressing room and having a laugh and taking the piss out of one another. It's that they're good for the soul. Those ones where you, um, because we're all, 
you know, grown up and have families and everything, but ultimately you're still, there's still that inner child in you. So when you come back with like-minded people, it's lovely to be able to revert back to that, that person 15, 20 years ago. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was, we had great laugh and, you know, good few, good, good few points. And then, you know, some people did the dog in it. Um, and yeah, but now I'm, I'm getting good at that. I'm getting good at the eject cord um of just on the cusp and getting home (laughs) (laughs) okay uh so with that uh we're going to boot this episode into touch and all that's left for me to do is to thank everyone Uh, of course brian o'driscoll for giving up his valuable time to be with us it's been an absolute pleasure brian thank you thanks for having me it's been a pleasure thank you uh chucky and matthew thanks to you both Uh, it's been fun as ever as always until the next one thanks so much brian for coming along it's been an absolute pleasure Pleasure. Cheers, guys. Finally, a huge thanks to you out there for being with us. Please subscribe to Life with Brian on your preferred podcast provider and leave us a nice review if you'd be so kind. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Brian McClare Pod, so follow us for updates and various other bits and bobs. Please also follow the Sports Social Podcast Network, of which we are a member, and enjoy any number of podcasts they have to offer. Uh, at the Sports Social or sport-social.co.uk is where they can be found. Right, now that's all done. It's time to sign off. So we'll see you soon. Life with Brian. Life with Brian. Talking films or music. Life with Brian. Talking TV and food. Life with Brian. Talking trivia. Podcast Network.